there was a prison break in Jerusalem, but the men in charge didn't know it had happened, even though they had guards stationed right outside the door. And the men who escaped, they didn't run away. They went right back doing the very thing that got them in trouble in the first place. And it wasn't the first time they had been thrown in jail for doing it. It was the second time. What was going on? Well, that's what this episode of this Bible study is all about. Have you ever felt that some Bible studies are too much? You know, they're too long, they're too deep, they're too serious, they're too theological, and yeah, maybe they're too boring. (laughs) Well, we're going to try to remedy that with this podcast, the Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. We're going to take a close look at Scripture. We're going to look at the cellular base of what God was saying through His Word. But we're not going to make it too much of anything. We're going to try to make it just right for everything. Okay, so does anyone know where we're, we're at in our scripture? <laughs> Acts chapter 5. Oh, okay, you're so right. But look at this. You're going to be so, if anyone ever has any questions about, do you know anything about Acts chapter 5? You're going to be able to say, just so happens, I do know something about Acts chapter We spent two months in the Sunday school class talking about Acts chapter 5. So I'm going to try really hard to finish Acts chapter 5 today. So uh, no promises, but we're going to make a valiant effort to do it. Okay, so uh, let's turn to Acts chapter 5. And um, just I'm going to go back and just start reading at verse 15 just to set the context of what we're going to talk about today. So verse 15, uh, Acts chapter 5 says, As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them, every single one of them, were healed. And this is what we looked at last week, chapter verse 17. Then the high priest and all his associates, who were members of the party of the Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. I went back and we talked about Korah, went off on that tangent, which I thought was such a, such a cool lesson to learn that Korah and all his jealousy, were that, that he was a cousin of uh, Moses and Aaron, and that as bad a dastardly guy as Korah was, that one of his descendants through one of his sons, his three sons, were not uh, condemned in the same way as Korah was. They escaped that condemnation, and through them came a man as good and pure and wonderful as Samuel. It's just incredible. It blows my mind when I think about that. So that was last week. So now let's start here at verse 18. Today it says, 
they, meaning those people, the Sadducees and uh, the high priest and his associates, they arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. Now, this isn't the first time, right, that Peter and John and the apostles have been arrested. We had, the same thing happened in chapter 4. And you remember what happened there? Peter was preaching, and word got out, and the, the same group sent the sheriff and the, the commander of the temple guard uh, to arrest Peter and John, which they did. They were in jail, and they were admonished and told, okay, we're going to let you go, but you have to promise not to preach about Jesus anymore. So the next thing you know, what are they doing? Verse 12, the apostles performed many miracles and signs and wonders among the people, and all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. Why? Because Peter and John were preaching and teaching again. So here the group comes out, and they say, <clears throat> they got their heads together, and they said, well, now, wait a minute. They're out there doing it again. We told them not to do it. Go arrest them. Go arrest them again. So they're arrested now for the second time. They're put in jail. Verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors. I want you to keep that in mind. That's going to be important in a few minutes. That the angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail. And brought them out. So they didn't just like miraculously pass through the door. They didn't just, you know, go from here to there uh, like an angel could. But he actually physically opened the door and they walked out to freedom. Well, what I like is that they brought them out. So they could have just stayed there. And, you know, so the guards would have got in trouble. Right. Like, didn't that happen with Paul? Where he just stayed in the jail, yeah. even though everything, the angel brought him out. This yes, good point. Okay. Good point. The, the jail, and he brought them out. Good catch. Great. Yes. Uh, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord pretty much always refers to Christ. And we think we're talking about I don't think so here. No, I think this was uh, an actual angel. I mean, we don't, we don't get the name of this angel, so it could have been any angel. It could have been an angel that we have met before, like Gabriel, perhaps. We don't know. But I think in this case, we don't have any, all of the cases that you're talking about of a pre-incarnate Christ happened in the Old Testament. After he lived on earth and ascended to heaven, that never, his next time is going to be as the returning, the returning king of, of the, the universe. So, uh, he's not going to come back again until that happens. So this is an angel. We don't know what angel, which angel. It could be just any angel, but it was an angel. And was uh, what, what happens, generally speaking, in the Bible when an, an angel appears to a person? People fall down. They fall down, don't they? That is almost universal almost every single time where you have an angel appearing to a person the person ends up flat on their face in front of the angel because why well because it's an angel <laughs> and because you know you feel so unworthy and what is it is this angel coming to zap me you know so it might be partially fear but i think it's mostly just just worship it's just this is an. I mean, you're obviously this. Is, what do you do when an angel appears to you? You get down on your hands and knees or, or thrown on the floor because 
what an amazing, miraculous, I mean, it's the last thing, it's the last thing you expect, right? I mean, when Peter and John and these guys were in prison, the last thing they expected was to see an angel. So it doesn't say here, but I have a feeling that when that angel first appeared to them, they were on the floor. They were on, they were on the ground. They were face down, which I think is, which I think is great because the first thing the angel says to them is go stand. In other words, get up, go stand. They're all on their, on their faces on the floor at this point, my own imagination. And he comes and says, go stand, stand up, go to the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Now, so let me ask you this. Go ahead. This translation doesn't, it just says go to the temple. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's, That's not enough. That's not enough, is it? Yeah. Go and tell. So let me ask you this. It does say that, but it doesn't say go stand. Oh, okay. Then you don't get the poetry of it. It just says go to the temple. Yeah, so you miss the poetry of the people on the floor. I mean, this is my imagination, but this is is what I would do. Can you two discover and discuss this tomorrow? (laughs) (laughs) There are a lot of things. Uh, We'll we'll try. That would be a good idea. now, let me ask you, how would you have felt if you had been in that jail with Peter and John and an angel appears and opens the door and and leads you out, brings you out? How what would you have been feeling? Empowered. Empowered? Yeah. Ruth? I can't answer that question, but well, I could. There was an article about this man who had been imprisoned in Iran for you know, preaching the gospel, okay. Christian-related. Okay. And he was very despondent. And, you know, they do everything to you. In that yes, yeah. So he tried even to drown himself in the sink. Oh, my goodness. Because he had lost so much hope. Oh, my goodness. And after that happened, Jesus appeared to him in that Stuff. Wow. And this was less than five years ago, I think. And so I guess he saw that that man had um, you know, had the hope. He didn't have any hope And then he, he did after that. And it wasn't just an angel, it was Jesus. Isn't that something? Wow. So it's still I just want to say that it still happens today in Jesus. Yeah, it's 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 amazing to think, you know, as we talked about before, Jan and I watched that Chosen show, and she's always saying to me, what, what would it have been like to have been there? What would it have been like to have been there and to actually see these disciples and Jesus and Mary and Mary Magdalene? I mean, what would it have been? Just imagine. And it's hard, isn't it, to imagine what it would be like to wake up I mean, this is happening in the middle of the night. Some of them might have been sleeping. We don't know. But, you know, I think sometimes, like, in my own self, like, if I'm in bed at night or something, what if an angel, this is the way I think, what if an angel just appeared right now to, to, in my bedroom and gave me some kind of a message? You know, I mean, what would, what would your, how, how would you, we don't know, but I'm sure we can agree we would all be pretty much overwhelmed, wouldn't we? Pretty much overwhelmed. Well, an, an angel, what an angel means is messenger. An angel is a messenger. That's basically what it means. So angels are messengers. And this angel has a message, doesn't he? In verse 20, this is his message to these people, these guys, these believers. Go, stand, and tell the people the full message of this new life. It echoes what Jesus told his disciples 
as he ascended into heaven, the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Well, how do you make disciples? You have to go and tell. You can't make disciples by osmosis. For disciples to be made, you have to go and tell about Jesus. You go and tell, and then disciples are made. And so this is basically what the message is from the angel. Go and tell about Jesus. And I just have to think, you know, this angel could have given any message. He could have given many messages. He had his choice, I guess, of any message he wanted to give to these people at this moment in time. But God told him, this is the message. This is the one, you have one message to give these believers. This is it. This one thing, go and tell about Jesus. So what does that mean? It's pretty important, isn't it? This is a pretty important thing to do. So now we have Jesus telling us as believers to go and make disciples. We have to go and tell to do that. And now, of all the things that Jesus, of all the things the angel could tell, of all the messages he could bring, the one message he brought was, go and tell about Jesus. And if that was important to those people in that day, those believers, you get the drift, right? It's important for us too. We need to go and tell. I often think, you know, the the the, the the reason it's important to go and tell is because the next generation doesn't know. And the second generation after that knows even less. And the third generation after that knows even less. If you go into your Old Testament and you read, when that generation died out that was there with Moses, that saw the plagues, that came through the, the parting of the Red Sea, that walked the, the, in those steps. When that generation died out, the next generation went immediately into idolatry and apostasy and totally got away from God. So you can't assume that the next generation is getting it. Because if you don't intentionally go and tell you know, you think, well, I'll just live a Christian life. And, of course, you do want to live a Christian life. But that's not really enough. You need to go and tell. And for me, in my own life, the demonstration of this is like, I'll say to the kids or something like, yeah, you know, um, like Humphrey Bogart. And I'll go, who's that? You know? Yeah. Or I'll go, you know, uh, father knows best. And I'll say, what are you talking about? Bless you. Why? Because I've never talked about Humphrey Bogart before. I've never talked about Father Knows Best before. So if I don't tell them, they don't know. And they don't know. It's, in, it's incredible. I mean, I don't know if you find this in your life, but I find my life. It's incredible the things my kids do not know. That's right. They only need to know what they need to know, right? So that I take from this is very important for us to, to take that to ourselves. So what do, the, uh, what do these guys do? It says, um, at daybreak, <laughs> I love that, at daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told by the angel and began to teach the people. So this happened in the middle of the night. They were brought out from the jail. They were told to go and tell. It's the middle of the night. 
say midnight, one o'clock, whatever, middle of the night, and at daybreak, I couldn't wait to get out there and do what the angel told him to do. Look, I hear the conversation between them right now, Peter and John. When do you want to go out and do that? And John says, when do you want to go out and do that, Peter? And Peter says, as soon as we can. It was an angel. He told us to do it. So at daybreak, I mean, they couldn't wait. You know, they're sitting around in their, uh, wherever they were in whatever house, having their coffee. It's still dark out. And they say, okay, the sun's coming up. Let's go. They couldn't get out there soon enough. At daybreak, they were out there. But this is, they've been, they've been arrested twice now. They were arrested in Acts chapter 4 and let go, told not to preach and teach. They've been arrested a second time. The, angels gave, gave them, the angel gave them a prison break. They go right back out and start teaching again. They had to know that they weren't going to be allowed to do that very long because they've already been arrested twice for doing it. And they're right out there doing it again. And they don't know. You know, they were arrested. They just got out of jail. They don't know what the conclusion of that was going to be. Were they going to be let go again? Were they going to be punished in some way? Were they going to be executed and condemned? They don't know. They know probably that they're going to be arrested again, but they go and do it because they were obedient to what God had told them to do through the angel. And sometimes, you know, we just have to be courageous. They were courageous. They said, we're going to follow God's word and we're going to be obedient to it. We're going to do what he told us to do. And if we get arrested, we get killed, we get punished, so be it. But we're going to be obedient to God's word. And we have God's word here. And so, you know, we're called to be obedient too. But sometimes we shrink. I mean, these guys got out of jail at night. The next day at daybreak, they're out preaching and teaching. And sometimes we don't go and tell because we're afraid It'll make someone uncomfortable, or will feel uncomfortable, or will be seen as some kind of a crazy person or a religious, you know, fanatic or something. But we're told to go and tell, go and tell, and don't shrink back from it. They said they did. They were courageous. So let's go on. So when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin the full assembly of the elders of Israel and sent to the jail for the apostles. So, so this is the same group that we met in Acts chapter 4 that arrested the disciples. This is the same group that in Acts chapter 5 arrested the disciples. And now here they are again. But what's interesting is, what were they doing? They sent to the jail for the apostles. So they had no idea. Hi, Grady. So they had no idea. Good to see you. Can you get up there? Great. Good to see you again. So uh, they, uh, uh, these Sanhedrin had no idea that the apostles were free, that they were no longer in the jail, that they were out there preaching. They thought they're still in jail. Go to the jail and get those guys. Oh boy, do they have a surprise coming? It says, 
But arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, there was no one found inside. Can you imagine the shock that they had when they got there and they opened the doors and there was no one there? Well, yeah, because in verse 23, it says, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. So how is this possible? One thing I like is the idea that when the angel led the disciples out of the jail, he didn't leave the door open. He was he closed it behind him and locked it back. You know? And and so, but my question is, the guards, what does it say? They're standing at the door, right? The guards standing at the doors. <clears throat> so, How's this possible? How? If the guards are standing at the doors and their job is to guard the door, you have one job, one job only. Stand here and make sure these guys don't get out. That's all you got to do. Well, maybe the angel did something to the guards. Possible. Supernaturally blinded them maybe for a moment, put them in some kind of a trance or something. Supernaturally, it's possible. Possible. Any other? See, I like that idea. They could have fallen asleep. It was night. It was night, middle of the night. And they're thinking, number one. Yeah, no, the door is locked. I got the key. No one's going to get out. I don't think they intended to take a nap, but I think they're like me when I'm watching a movie late at night, and I intend to watch the whole movie. And it starts, and it's good, and I like it, and I'm interested in it, and I'm watching it intently, and then next thing you know, I wake up and the movie's over and I'm like, how'd that happen? How long have I been sleeping? The other thing is, Rome was probably not known for their great treatment of these people. They were probably working for like 20 hours. True. They're probably tired. They're soldiers. They'd worked hard all day and they're getting there. And I mean, like for me, like that movie that I'm watching, it might be an action movie with lots of like booms and kabooms. A lot of it might be noisy and loud. I don't hear any of it. I wake up and I have no idea what happened in that movie. I don't know. And, you know, that could happen here where these guys, they don't mean to, they don't intend to, they fell asleep, they're out of it, this all happens, the door, when they wake, when they fell asleep, the door is closed, when they woke up, the door is closed, we're fine. But opening that door and bringing those guys out, they just slept right through it. We have a dog that is deathly afraid of thunderstorms. Thunderstorms, yeah. And so sometimes at night, you know, we have these huge thunderstorms. 
And uh, if I'm already asleep when that happens, you know, I get up in the morning, Jan goes, did you hear that thunder last night? And I'm like, uh, no, I didn't hear it. I didn't know anything about it. Of course, the dog wakes her up, so I don't have to worry about the dog waking me up. But, you know, so this could happen. So I think that's a possibility that they could have fallen asleep. Uh, or I think, does anyone else have another explanation? Yes, Ruth? It's probably way out there, but Sorry? True. True. So they could have taken these two human beings and brought them supernatural. They could have, except that, remember what I said, remember before? Verse 19, he opened the door. That's why I said, remember this, because I thought of that too, as that's a possibility. But then I went back and I said, well, no, wait a minute. In verse 19, it specifically says, they opened the door. So. This was something that wasn't done uh, quietly. I mean, I think you know, a big old jail door, you know, it squeaks when you open it, squeaks when you close it. But anyway, so, but I think another possibility is that the guards were lying. I think they may have known that it happened, and they knew that if they let people know that they knew, that there would have been even more difficult, uh, it'd been even more difficult for them. Frightened by the angel, baby. Yeah, has it, happen has it happened before? Hey, look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus' resurrection. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, it's Easter Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Okay? They're afraid. Terribly afraid at the angel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it could have given him a trance too. Could have. But anyway, so then look at verse 11. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went to the city, into the city and reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. When the chief priest had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, Pilate, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So it's not the first time that soldiers have seen an angel and lied about it. And in the case before with Jesus' resurrection, they were paid to lie about it. But if I'm a Roman soldier or even a temple guard at that point, uh, which these were temple guards, these weren't Roman soldiers. But if, if I'm sitting there and I know this is my one job and I failed at it and an angel came and scared me to death, uh, I'm going to plead ignorance. I'm going to, what angel? What? I have no idea what happened. I, you, so... They could have fallen asleep or they could have been telling a lie. I don't know. But something else I want you to notice here that I talked about the poetry of God. God is a God of poetry because he enjoys kind of like playing with the minds of people sometimes and wrapping things up in ways we don't expect. And the poetry here is that most of the Sanhedrin were Sadducees. 
And the Sadducees do not believe in angels. But who prison broke out the believers and angels? So God's saying, oh, okay, Sadducees, you don't believe in angels? Ha! Here's an angel. Deal with this angel. <laughs> and so in God's poetry, he sends an angel to release the prisoners, even though most of the people who put them there don't believe in angels. I love that poetry. It's so wonderful. Okay, so let's go on. So it says, <clears throat> uh, then, let's see, on hearing this, the report of the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled. This is verse 24. On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. What would, how do we explain this? We put them in there. We locked the door. But guard's outside, and now they're gone. How do we, what they really were saying is, how do we discredit this report? Because at this point, this group of people, the Sanhedrin, and the high priests and all those officials, all they've been doing is putting out fires. They're putting out one fire, another fire. Put out one fire. Okay, so the first fire was, in Acts 4, if you remember, we have a beggar who was lame, and now he's healed, and he's up jumping and walking, and we cannot deny that. And then we have hundreds of people getting healed when Peter's shadow just falls on them, and they're out there walking around well, so we can't deny that. And then we have thousands of believers now in Jerusalem. We started with 120, who cares? Then all of a sudden 3,000, then 5,000. Now we have even more and more and more, adding more every day. And, you know, we can't deny that. And now we have an empty jail cell that was locked with guards outside. And we can't deny that because they're out there preaching and teaching again. Obviously, we can't deny that. And oh yeah, we still have an empty tomb with Roman guards who are outside of it, and we can't deny that either. Right, but I like this translation because it says, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Yeah. <laughs> right, it's like, we all put out five fire, we can't, we can't, none of this can we deny because they're standing right. They're all standing right outside of our door. So it goes on then, uh, verse 25. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. Yeah. And I got to think they're like, what? What? Are you kidding me? What's wrong with these guys? So verse 26, at that, the captain went with his officers and this is now the third time that we've had the captain and the temple guard, the captain and his officers. In, verse, in, in Acts chapter 4, it was the captain and his officers. Then in Acts chapter 5, the last time, it was the captain and his officers. This time, it's the captain and his officers, the captain and the temple guard. I got to think this captain is like going, what do I got to do? <laughs> what do I got to do with these guys? So, uh, and he, and, and, uh, so, and brought the and brought the apostles. They did not use force because they feared the people would stone them. Oh my goodness, what a paradigm shift has happened here. 
I mean, can you really get your arms around this? This is the same group, the captain and the temple guards and the officers, who arrested Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, did they treat Jesus gently? No. As a matter of fact, if you look back on, um, let's see if I can find it here, Luke 22, 52. Luke 22, uh, where is it? Matthew, Mark, Luke 22, as Mary told me last week, she tried to help me. Okay, Luke 22, 52. Luke 22, 52. Okay. It says, then Jesus and the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, uh, what? Officers of the temple guard and the elders who had, who had come for him. So this is the same group that came for him before. And then verse 54. Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. So all the way through that uh, idea is that Jesus was treated roughly. He was seized. He was probably bound. He was probably pushed, shoved, dragged, treated roughly, okay? Because at that point, the temple guard and the commander and the officers had no fear. Now, it was in the middle of the night. Maybe that was part of it. But they didn't have any fear of Jesus whatsoever or his little band of 12 people. And the, the you know, what they were considered the mishmash of people who were following him they had no fear of Jesus. They had no fear of the, they had no fear of his followers at that point. But now things have changed. But don't you think it would have changed to some of those guards when Jesus put the man's ear back on? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what more do I need to do, right? <laughs> but you know what, Doris? We talked about this last week. You know, the blindness, the blindness of people. We're going we're gonna to talk about here in just a second another verse that astounds me. But last week, we talked about Korah, and when Korah confronted Moses and Aaron in his revolt, he said to Moses, well, it's your fault because all, all this is, because you, you, Moses, took us away from, away from a land that was flowing with milk and honey. <laughs> what? Egypt? You, yeah, making bricks without straw? You were being whipped, you were being beaten, you were enslaved, and that was a land flowing with milk and honey? What? It flowed, but not for them. <laughs> so, you know, memory does a strange thing to your mind. <laughs> and I, oh, I'm so glad you said that, because uh, just the last point on this one is now they're, they're afraid that the people are going to stone them. Why are they afraid? Because... All those people were getting healed. Wait, wait a minute. You know, if I'm if I'm a bystander, I'm like, wait a minute. You're going to arrest and treat roughly this man who's healing people, this man who's making people well. You're going to do what? And it's not just a few people. It's you know dozens, maybe hundreds. I don't know, but a lot of people. And so they knew this was going on. They knew he had thousands of followers. They knew that they were in an untenable position. And I love, the, I love to think about how it would have happened. You know, the temple guard and, and uh, the officer goes up, the captain goes up, excuse me, uh, Mr. Peter, uh, would you please, would you mind, can you come with me? I mean, 
You don't have to if you don't want to, but it'd be doing me a big favor if you would just please. They want to talk to you. I, I don't want to. It's not me. You know, I have nothing to do with this, but, you know, you know, that's Sanhedrin. Can you please come with me? Uh, so the paradigm has changed so significantly, dramatically, uh, now as to what it was. Okay, verse 27. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Okay, now this is what I'm talking about. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, the high priest. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. In other words, he's saying, it's not our fault. Why are you claiming that what happened to Jesus is our fault? You're, you're trying to make us look like we're guilty of this man's blood. It's all Trump's fault. Well, that's the, so, so if it wasn't their fault, who would they possibly... It's, it's amazing, like we said with the, the, the Israelites in the Old Testament, it's amazing the rationalization that you can, that you, that you said before, Grant, your mind can come up with. Uh, uh, the rationalization and the explanation is, so if they're not blaming themselves, and of course, they don't want to be seen, seen as being responsible and guilty of Jesus' death, because now, just like the temple guard, they're outnumbered. I mean, they are also in a, you know, a sticky wicket here to some extent. So they don't want to be seen as being guilty. And so now they're saying, well, it's, 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 Peter's like, well, it's like you're blaming us, Peter. It's like you're blaming us. I'm like, what? So if they weren't really, what was their, who, what was their rationalization for who would have been to blame if not them? Roman Empire. The Romans did it. Pilate did it. Or the crowd did it. The crowd. Crucify him. Crucify him. The crowd. Your own people did this. Our people did not. We didn't do it. Or we I mean, wanted to release them, but you chose someone else. We're you're the one. We if, if Pilate had said, let him, you know, we Pilate gave the chance, but all the people said. The people said, yeah. I have a silly question. What do make us guilty of this man's blood? Jesus' blood. Oh, Jesus' blood. Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. they don't make okay, Yeah, Jesus' blood. I think that's an interesting statement that it says. This, this name, it doesn't, it's like, they wouldn't say They don't want to say the name. <laughs> Good point. Good point. The name that we shall not name. The name of and maybe they even said, you know, if it's not the Romans' fault, it's not the crowd's fault, it's Judas's fault. Judas is the one who betrayed him. Judas is the one who turned him. So I don't know what they were thinking, but I think to get back to what you were saying, Grady, is, I mean, our minds can come up with such incredible denials of things. What I was thinking of is that memory always turns everything into roses. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you, usually when you look back, unless you get something that's so traumatic, can't deny it. Right. You look and you think, well, that was that was that was a pretty good time. Good old days. Yeah, those were the good old. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, exactly. So um, that's what they were doing. And so Peter, though, look, he's not—he's having none of it. He says, Peter and the other apostles replied, "We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers 
raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed. He's not going to let him get away with it. Get away with it. He says, whom you have killed. And the implication there is, because of the way the language is written, whom you have killed with your own hands. Peter is saying, oh, no, no, no. We're not going to, I'm not letting you off that hook. You killed him with your own hands. And by hanging him on a tree, God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might give repentance and forgiveness of sins to Israel. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. So this is the same uh, sermon that we see uh, Peter preach every single time. Every single time, it's the same exact sermon. This is the third time we've seen it, and it's the third time that he makes all these same points. So he goes on and says, when they heard this, they were furious, and you know the idea is that uh, in the original language is they were cut to the quick. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick. They were cut in two. They were furious and wanted to put them to death. You know, when you're caught red-handed and you're guilty of sin at something, have you ever noticed you have basically most people have, you have basically two two response two options. You, you go one or the other. Hmm? Fight or flight. That's exactly right. Fight or flight. If you're going to flight, you say, you're right, I was wrong, and I'm sorry. So that's one option. You're caught red-handed. You're right, I did it, I'm sorry, forgive me. The other option is you can get really angry. You get really mad. You get upset. What do you mean I didn't do that? I was blah, blah, blah. And you get angry. And so that's the that's the that's the path that these guys chose. We're going to be so, and we're going to just put them to death. But a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law. Now this was Paul's teacher. We know that this is Paul's teacher. And later on, Paul talks about being a student of Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people. This was a guy who had great respect. Everyone listened to him. Uh, in the things that I read, uh, most people think he was probably the president of the Sanhedrin. So you have the priest. He wasn't a priest, wasn't a high priest, but, but you would have the priesthood, and then you have the Sanhedrin, and as a body, that Sanhedrin would have a president, and po- probably Gamaliel was the president of the Sanhedrin, and he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was well-known, well-respected, and on. What was, the name of that? What was that commercial that said, Used to be when such so and so speaks, people listen. E, uh, what was it? E-F-F. When E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. When Gamaliel spoke, people listen, and they respected him. So he says, um, "Who was honored by all the people stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. Then he addressed them, men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Thetis appeared, claiming to be somebody." Uh, I think that's why I said it like that. Claiming claim to be somebody. Uh, and about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed, and all his followers were dispersed, and it all came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean appeared in the days of the census. This is not the census that sent Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. This is another census that happened about 30 years later. But what happened was uh, this Judas, uh, he led a revolt because he thought this taxation was unfair and lead to more slavery and so forth. So he had an uprising. He was quickly and easily defeated by uh, the Romans, but people feel that this kind of planted the seed for the later Roman war, the Jewish war against the Romans in 66 AD, 
which eventually ended with the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that this kind of planted the seed for all of that. That's just historical things. Okay, so uh, he too was killed and all his followers were scattered. Verse 38, therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go for all, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. So why would Gamaliel say this? Why would he take their side? Why would he advocate for them to be released, basically? Because he was a wise teacher, and his, I think it's self-explanatory. I mean, what, his, what he said was pretty compelling. Yes, I agree. He says, well, you know, we don't want to fight against God, but... I think he was touched by the Holy Spirit. He had things going on. Who are you? Speak a little louder. We can't hear you down here. <laughs> she says that the Holy Spirit had an effect on Gamaliel oh, and, yeah. you know, guided well, him to that conclusion. Well, he defended before, hadn't he? Hmm? And Gamaliel, have we seen him defend before? Well, later on, we learned that, that Paul, like, that he was the teacher and rabbi for Paul. And Paul, of course, was a persecutor of the church originally. Yeah. But uh, I think, Stan, and your, to address your, your answer, which is that, you know, the, the, the argument makes sense mm-hmm. that we don't want to fight against God. Mm-hmm. But this is, this, this is the same group that arrested and persecuted and was responsible for Jesus' crucifixion. It doesn't say particularly, but if Gamaliel was the president of the Sanhedrin, when that group of people from the Sanhedrin took Jesus to Pilate and said, Pilate, you need to help us out here. This guy needs to be executed. We can't do it. We need you to do it. That if Gamaliel was the president of the Sanhedrin, he probably was one of the people who took them. So if Gamaliel didn't want to fight against God, if that was truly his motivation, then why did he not feel that way when it came to Jesus? And when it came to Jesus, he was all about killing him. Well, could it be possible that he respected Paul so much when he saw Paul? Well, this hasn't happened yet, though. Oh, Paul hasn't been... No, Paul Paul hasn't happened yet. I think, too, I mean, he cites these other two men. Yes. And their rebellion. Yes. And they, in the back of his mind, thinking, we crucified Jesus, but it hasn't stopped yet. So that is not, that didn't end. Yeah. You know? Jesus still has followers. So killing Jesus didn't stop that. Right. So there's something more to this, and he knows it. I think you and Doris are close to what, in my opinion. And that is that maybe Gamaliel isn't so sure anymore. Jesus was resurrected. A lot of people witnessed it and talked about it. Gamaliel has heard these witnesses. He now sees firsthand what Peter and John are doing. He sees the healing. He hears the, the preaching. He see, you know, As a man of God, if you just listen to what is being said, that Jesus was resurrected... You hear, he just heard what Peter said. Peter just confronted him and said, Jesus, who God raised from the dead, whom you killed, 
Maybe he's having a guilty complex now, and maybe he's and now with all the healing and all the conversions, I also believe my personal belief is Gamaliel wasn't so sure anymore. He was having his own doubts about their them being right and Jesus being wrong, them being right and Peter and John being wrong. I think he's having. I think now he's saying, look. I'm not so sure we're right. I think we need to take it easy here and not be guilty. Because if they are right, and they may be, we don't want to be guilty of this man's blood. Yes, sir? Uh, these guys don't act alone. Uh, don't forget Nicodemus was in that group. And uh, Nicodemus and Amelia may have had a long night of conversation about all of this. Um, and there may have been some other semi-believers there who had been talking and discussing. So I'm not so sure this is a, I'm the only one who thinks this way kind of talk. Well, also, he's leaving it in the hands of God. He's not saying, he's not judging one way or the other. He's saying if if it's of human origin, it's going to go down. But if it's of God's origin, then we have no, we can't. I think that's true. But in my opinion, I think he, I think it, he, it was reverse logic. In other words, I don't think his argument led him to the conclusion. I think he had a conclusion, and he came up with an argument that would get him to that conclusion. I don't think he was sitting there saying, well, you know, if God's of it, it'll go, and if God doesn't, what? I think he was saying is, we got to let these guys go. Now, what, can, what kind of argument can I come up with to make that happen? And here's an idea. Oh, like a good lawyer, right, Stan? You have a conclusion you want to reach. You have a conclusion you want to reach. You got to come with an argument to get that conclusion. So that's what Gamelli was doing. I, I, we need to come because I, as if this happens, I'm a part of this group. I'm a part of this organization. If this happens, I'm guilty because I let it happen and I didn't stand up and I didn't, you know, and I don't want to be guilty if if. This is true. I think Dennis is right. You know, maybe Joseph Aramaeus had talked. Maybe Nicodemus had talked to him. Maybe there were other people in that group that had begun to doubt. And maybe, but you know, at this point, Gamaliel's their spokesperson. And I really do think that Gamaliel was saying, "Hmm, I'm not so sure here. I'm at least, if I'm not a believer, I'm at least at this point an agnostic. <laughs> I'm not an atheist about Jesus anymore." I maybe not be a believer, but I'm in that middle ground. I don't want to do the wrong thing here. And there are some extra biblical writings that say Gamaliel did eventually become a Christian. Now, take that with a grain of salt, because there's nothing that we know historically that that actually happened. But there are some extra, extra biblical writings that indicate that. Uh, but whether he did or not actually become a believer, I think he at least wasn't sure at this point and didn't want to make the mistake. So let's finish it off because I promised we'd finish it. Uh, verse um, 40, his speech persuaded them. Yay! They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Why? Now, don't, don't think that getting flogged is e an easy way out. Getting flogged was terrible, awful. You get 39 lashes and bloody and painful and terrible. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Don't think that's going to happen. Verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, in the temple courts, 
And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news of that Jesus is the Christ. So they were flogged. Painful, awful thing. Don't do it. Don't say it. And as soon as they could, they were out doing it and saying it. You see, they were, and it says they rejoice. How can you rejoice when you're, you're being flogged and hurt like that? And the reason is because they were punished, not because they were doing something wrong. They were punished because they were doing something right. And if you get punished because you're taking a stand for God, you, it's okay. You know, you say, well, it's, it's for, I'm not getting punished because I did something. I'm not getting punished because I did something right. William Barclay said, this will be the last thing. William Barclay said this. I love this. This blew my mind. He said, those who shared in the cross bearing would share in the crown wearing. So if you're bearing a cross for Christ, you're going to wear a crown in Christ's presence someday. Cross bearers are crown wearers. Ooh, mind blown. That's it, guys. Thank you very much. That concludes this episode of Where's God? Finding Him in the Small Stuff Bible Study. I pray that you've learned something new about the Lord today, and He's given you some new insight into who He is and how much He loves you. Remember, the eternal God is our refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. May in that refuge today and those everlasting arms you find the provision that you need, the protection that you need, the power that you need, and through those, the peace that you need. Remember, he said, my peace I give you, peace be with you. Shalom.